Amen. Please be seated unless you're a child or a youth and you can go out to kids and youth ministry and have a great time this morning. Well, Jesus is with us. Whether you're watching us online in the lounge room or a coffee shop or listening to us in the car or here present, he's here with us in his power and his grace. I want to ask you a question this morning as we look into this topic of grace that changes our perspective. Have you ever had a change of perspective in your life, a point where you began to see something differently? I suspect you have, if you're like me, many times. One of those was uh, the first time I went wakeboarding behind a boat rather than single skiing. And the difference is you have these slip-out boots on a single ski, but When you're on a wakeboard, you're laced in and your feet don't come out. The thing I learned is you fall very differently on a wakeboard than you do on a single ski because if you get the wrong edge, right on your face at about 30 k's an hour and it hurts. It doesn't happen on a single ski. Change of perspective. I think the port supporters after Friday night have a change of perspective. It's not a walk-up start for their team to make the finals this year. I think most of those times that we have a change of perspective come from when we experience something different or maybe for the first time. At our men's breakfast a couple of weeks ago, Ricardo Avalos, one of our blokes, shared his story with us. And in part, it was a story of a change of perspective later in his life. Ricardo grew up, went to school, began work, got married, started a family in El Salvador in Central America. He grew up in poverty. His dad left the family when he was very young, so his mum and uh, about eight kids. It was a struggle for them to survive. There was a street that ran down their little town and on one side were kind of the relatively economically okay families, and on the other side of the street were the poor families. Ricardo's family lived on that side of the street. As a little boy, he had to go to work with his mum and siblings uh, from the age of about five or six in a coffee plantation for some months each year so they could save enough money to survive the rest of the year and the kids could go to school. They'd be woken up at four in the morning, walk five or six kilometres to this plantation to pick coffee beans during the day. Can you imagine asking your four or five, six, seven, eight-year-olds to do that with you? Can you imagine you doing it? It was literally a a real struggle for them as a family and yet their mum made the best best of it and, and showed them in her own way love. As he grew up and and found his own way a little bit in life and his work situation improved, he married uh, Linda, this beautiful lady that he met, that he knew through school, who lived actually on the other side of the street. They started a family, but during that time the Civil War had broken out in El Salvador where the US backed the right-wing government and the communists from Russia and places like that backed the opposition and the people who suffered were the citizens, just like in Ukraine at the moment. And literally there were dead bodies in the street every day, even people Ricardo knew. 
He and his family were threatened. Their lives were literally threatened. And so it's no surprise uh, to hear that he sought asylum in another country and he came as a refugee with his wife and little children uh, over 30 years ago and landed in Adelaide. Ricardo shared with us how when he got here and they'd been here a little while and things were beginning to kind of, you know, uh, sort themselves out, he said how he began to pat himself on the back. Okay, how smart was I? How persevering was I? How ingenious was I that I got through all that and I got here and established myself and my family here? Now, through that period of his life, he was not a Christian. He didn't know God. He wasn't interested in Jesus. Though towards the end of that period, his wife had become a Christian and started praying for him. Beware, husbands, if you have a praying wife. And so Ricardo, after a while, met some Christians here in Australia. Kind of, can you just jump back on the computer? It's frozen again. And those Christians began to tell him about Jesus and, and Jesus' love and his grace. But they also demonstrated that to Ricardo and his family because they helped them in practical ways. They demonstrated God's love. And so through that period, he began to hear about Jesus and came to a point where he gave his life to Christ and everything changed and his perspective on things changed. And, that, and Ricardo shared how, how he now looked back over his life all those years from when he was born and a little boy in El Salvador growing up when he wasn't interested in God and as far as he was concerned back then, God had no place in his life. As he now looked back, he could see the hand of God. In all these moments in his life where God had intervened in his grace, in his undeserved favour, including the time when twice he had guns pointed at him and the triggers weren't pulled and he doesn't really know why, but as he looks back he says, God, save me. And God helped me get my family to safety in Australia and establish ourselves. And so as Ricardo experienced God's outrageous grace back then for the first time and as his perspective changed, he's a great example of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16, where Paul, who also had this radical encounter with the grace of Jesus, that changed his life and his perspective. And so Paul wrote, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. His perspective changed. You see, whenever, I believe, anyone encounters God's outrageous grace through Jesus, that totally undeserved favour that Jesus pours out on us in immeasurable amounts, We begin to see things differently. We begin to see God differently. We begin to see ourselves differently. We begin to see others differently. And we begin to see different priorities and possibilities for our life and for our world. We begin to see God differently. You see, when you meet Jesus, you meet God. When you meet Jesus, you meet God's grace personified in a person. 
When Jesus comes, he comes overflowing God's presence, God's truth and God's grace to us. And he demonstrates it in how he relates to us. You see, grace, God's grace, this outrageous grace is first and foremost a person, Jesus, not just a concept. And so when we meet Jesus, we meet God and we experience his grace firsthand. You know, I think in our wider Western secular culture, there are roughly four ways that people might view God. Non-existent. He may exist but is irrelevant. He exists but is distant and disengaged. He's what some people call a clockmaker God. He, he made creation. He wound it up. He sat it on the shelf. He stepped back and just left it to run its own way. Some might say, well, maybe there's a benevolent God, but he is demanding. You must kind of do the right things or be religious enough or go to church enough or do the right things to gain his favour. But as Paul wrote, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer because we discover that God and his grace is not like that. When we meet Jesus, we discover God's unconditional love and this undeserved favour freely given to us. There's a guy in America, he's an author of several books called Philip Yancey. Two books in particular that I think are a good read on this topic. What's so amazing about grace and the Jesus I never knew. Philip Yancey himself grew up in a dysfunctional family. It was a Christian family but they had a lot of dysfunction. They had some weird beliefs They were very legalistic and very narrow-minded and the picture of God was a judgmental God that if you didn't do the right things, you went to the fiery pit. It was kind of fire and brimstone stuff. His dad contracted polio through that polio pandemic decades ago and was put in an iron lung. And some uh, of the friends of the family said to his mum, we're going to pray for him. We believe that Jesus heals today. And so they prayed for his healing and they said now that he's prayed, he should no longer stay in the iron lung because God's going to heal him. And they convinced the mum to take him out of the iron lung and he died. And then the mum in all kinds of ways tried to kind of make up for that uh, in dysfunctional ways, in the way she kind of sought to live out her faith through her children. It gave Philip a distorted view of God. But then by God's grace one day he, be, he met Jesus himself and he began to realise that God's not like that but he's like this. You see, when you experience this outrageous grace of God through Jesus, you begin to realise that God doesn't condemn us but accepts us and embraces us. As Jesus said in John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, to save you through him. God is for you, not against you. He is your greatest champion, your greatest cheer squad. You begin to realise that God is interested in you. He cares about your hopes and your hurts, your needs, even your questions. There's a story in the Gospels, a true story of when Jesus with his disciples and a crowd were going down the road and there was a blind beggar on the side of the road 
And he couldn't see what was happening. He could hear a crowd and so he asked them, well, what's going on? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is going past. And he'd heard something about Jesus before. And so he shouted at the top of his lungs, Jesus, have mercy on me. And everyone said, shut up. He's not interested in you. You're a nobody. Don't disturb the master. But Jesus heard him and he stopped. And through the crowd he said to some people, go and bring that man to me. Do you know what he said when he was brought to Jesus? What can I do for you is what Jesus said. And the blind guy said, Lord, I want to see. Jesus healed him in that moment. Jesus is interested in our questions and our doubts. He, he doesn't judge us for having them. There was a time when the disciples were having a discussion amongst themselves about who was the greatest and I think there was a bit of ego involved in that conversation and Jesus kind of hears them chatting. He says, hey, can I join the conversation? Let me bring another perspective on this. The way I see it is the greatest is the one who serves everyone, not the one who rises up the ladder. He didn't write them off because they had a wrong perspective, but he joined them in the conversation. You see, he doesn't demand anything of us, but he gives to us freely and invites us to receive his favour and rest in it. Now, when we encounter this outrageous grace of God, not only do we see God differently, but we begin to see ourselves differently when we meet Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, between, as the Jews would see themselves, the righteous people of God and these unholy pagans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no difference across the board. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, Ricardo, when he was sharing his story and as some Christians began to share with him about Jesus, one of the pastors said to Ricardo, Ricardo, you're a sinner. Whoa. That's a bit of a judgmental statement, isn't it? Not really, because it's only the first part of the equation. Ricardo, you're a sinner like everyone else, but you can be justified freely like everyone else through the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. You see, you're a sinner is a statement of truth, but it's also an invitation to receive the grace of God that overcomes our sin and changes everything. As Paul wrote later in that letter to the Romans, therefore we now have peace with God. We are now able to know ourselves differently, fully accepted by God. Yes, we're a sinner, but we're saved by grace. We've been justified. God looks at us now just as though we had never sinned. We are now God's daughter or son, dearly loved. We can now live from this place of favour rather than striving to get it. God has opened the door to his cupboard and said, you have free and full access to all my stuff. And so I can say to you in truth, you lack nothing. You never need to beg again. 
You can now live as a victor, not a victim. You can face anything because Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. You can declare, I can do all things through Christ who through his power and grace enables me. You are no longer the fearful, but the people of fear not because if God is for you, who can be against you? Let me say that again. You're the people of the fear not. Because if God is for you, does it matter if someone says they're against you because God is sovereign over all and if he is for you, it doesn't matter what someone else says or thinks or does. And so we begin to see ourselves differently. But we also begin to see others differently. Back in those verses from 2 Corinthians, Paul says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You see, when you experience God's grace and you begin to understand rightly that, yes, I'm a sinner like everyone else, there's no difference, but God's grace is given to me freely, you begin to look at others with a sense of kinship. Well, they're no different to me. They're sinners like me. I've discovered God's grace. They just haven't discovered it yet. And as we begin to look at other people and engage with them, our mindset and our actions and attitudes change. Judgment of others is replaced by a sense of kinship. Our aversion or dislike of others is replaced by compassion and kindness. Impatience with people is replaced with patience, willing to journey with them as long as it takes. Dislike is replaced with delight. We stop seeing people's current outward circumstances and how they live as a measure of their worth or their possibilities in life and we begin to see them with the eyes of Jesus as you've experienced him seeing you, someone of great worth, someone with great potential that Jesus by his grace unlocks within us. And we begin to see other people in the same way. You know, Jesus had lunch with a tax collector called Zacchaeus. Everyone saw Zacchaeus. They understood he was working for the Romans. He was taking taxes. He was ripping them off, lining his own pockets. His outward life said so much about his heart and who he was. But Jesus says, I'm going to have lunch with you today, Zacchaeus. Because Jesus knew what his grace could do to a man like Zacchaeus. And over a meal... Zacchaeus' heart was changed. Instead of being stingy and self-absorbed and taking money for himself, he became generous and thoughtful of other people. Ricardo, after becoming a Christian and a lot of his life had been about striving to get ahead and survive and about him and his family, but he shared how when he became a Christian and he met Jesus and he understood his grace, his focus changed and he became concerned for other people, and he made his life about serving others rather than serving himself because he'd experienced this gracious serving of Jesus in his own life. Whenever we experience this outrageous grace of Jesus, we begin to realise it's not just for us, but it's for everyone, and we begin to see them through new eyes. And we also begin to see different possibilities. Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, and this was as 
You know, later in his life when he'd been through more trials than anyone could survive and yet by God's grace somehow or other he got to be an older man. And Paul wrote these words, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, when we live aware of our own capacity and therefore limits or are handicapped by our fears and doubts, we have this kind of fairly fixed and narrow view of what is possible in our world. And if you pile on top of that what other people say or expect is possible or impossible for us, it can become an even narrower perspective on possibilities in our life and world. And yet when we meet Jesus and we experience his grace, we begin to discover there is this whole world of possibilities for us because his grace comes as a, an outworking of God's kingdom, of the rule of God in heaven come to earth in our life and through us into the lives of those around us. The God's gracious rule and reign would be outworked in our day, in our circumstances. So we begin to see that the possibilities are not limited but unbounded. As Paul prayed for us in Ephesians chapter 3, God who by his mighty power that is at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts or hopes because of this great grace that is given to us and the Holy Spirit that is given to us by God's grace to live within us and outwork God's grace and power. You see, God's grace is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It comes with divine power to change things. Ask the maniac, the demoniac, who lived amongst the tombs in a place called Gadara on the north east shores of Lake Galilee. When Jesus came there one day, he found this man who'd been living in the cemetery amongst the tombs for years as a madman, possessed and tormented by demons. No one could help him, no one could control him. He'd cut himself, he'd scream and wail. He was living this tortured and tormented life and he meets Jesus. And through not that many words and the authority of Jesus commanding, those demons left him and suddenly, instantly, he was in his right mind, restored to health and peace and able to go back to his family. Jesus' grace came with power to change things. A widow is walking in the funeral procession behind her only son who had just died and she's in deep grief for the loss of her son. But she's also in deep grief because there goes any possibility of being cared for and supported in life. She would now be likely destitute. And Jesus comes across this funeral procession and there's no kind of comment that Jesus knew about this but he kind of just came across it. He goes up to the empty coffin. Can you imagine that? If you're on the footpath watching the hearse go by and jumped out in front of the hearse and said, stop, open the boot, lift the lid off. And he goes up and he raises, with a word, raises this young man back to life and gives him back to his mother. Because of Jesus' grace, unknown people become world changers. A young, white, middle-class, suburban lady in America becomes a Christian, becomes a passionate follower of Jesus, marries a young Christian man, and that together they go to southern Africa. 
and over the next few decades literally saves thousands of children from poverty, gives them a home and a hope, introduces them to Jesus, plants hundreds of churches and brings thousands of people into a relationship with Jesus. Her name's Heidi Baker. Many years ago now in the 50s going into the 60s, there was a small group of Christians in a little country hamlet called Hope Valley. People were saying, well, maybe you should just close up and go to the church over the nearest town. But in faith, they said, no, we see the suburbs coming in faith. We are going to remain open. We are going to remain a place of worship where the good news of Jesus is continually preached. And because they held on in faith and perseverance with hope, trusting God's grace, we are here today. And in those decades since, hundreds have come to faith, thousands have been discipled. The proclamation of the gospel and the worship of Jesus has resounded in Hope Valley for decades since because they trusted the grace of Jesus to make a difference beyond what was humanly possible. And now because we've been able to get online, people beyond Hope Valley are hearing the good news of Jesus and his grace and are able to join in worship with others, even in isolation. A little group of nobodies changed history and because of them, hundreds, thousands of lives and their destinies have been changed today and will continue to be because of us. The rule and the reign of God comes to us in grace and power to change things, to make the impossible possible, to make things we never dreamed of possible, to make the supernatural normal. And all this because God loves us unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. All this because of his grace in Jesus is given to you as a gift without strings. All of this so that you can begin to see things through the eyes of Jesus and have a new perspective. All this so that you can live the life to its full that God created you to live. Let's pray. And in this moment of prayer, this is a chance for you to pray. This is a chance for the grace of God to be manifest afresh in your life through your prayer in this moment. This undeserved favour that has no limits, that comes with power to change things. that the kingdom of heaven would be manifest here now in this building, but also with you who are watching online in your living rooms, in your car, on the beach, the coffee shop, wherever you are. The grace of God is being poured out now for you. And so in this moment, make your question or your doubt known. Make your need known. Acknowledge your sin that you need forgiven. You see, when God convicts us of a sin, it's an act of grace because it invites us to experience his forgiveness and his restoration. Maybe in this moment, 
you might be thinking to yourself, you may be saying to Jesus, I've always thought you weren't interested in me or you were this or that. In this moment, let Jesus bring his truth to you that would overcome those lies or those what seem reasonable distortions of his truth and his grace. Lord, for those that are sick in body or mind, in your grace let healing flow right now. Lord, I thank you that distance is not an issue. Participating via online is not a barrier to your grace. Reaching people. Lord, for anyone here this morning that's never experienced your intimacy, your presence and proximity, Lord, fill them now with your Holy Spirit and your power. As you've promised, that you wouldn't leave us alone, but you would give us the comfort of the Holy Spirit to live with us and within us. Lord, fill them now. Lord, for those that are asking for a sign, in your grace, show them. And Lord, in this moment, we're aware that your grace is for us, but your grace is for all. So, Lord, we pray now in this moment for those we know, family members, people close to us, maybe neighbours, that they would come to know your grace, Lord, and we don't know sometimes how to make that happen, but, Lord, you do. So, Lord, whether it's through us, whether it's through someone else, whether it's through a direct encounter with you, Lord, we pray that your grace would be made known, be revealed, be manifest in the lives of our family and friends, those we're naming now. Lord, without delay, Lord, maybe some of them have questions. Lord, answer their questions. Lord, add to our number those being saved, those being healed, those being set free, those being restored, those finding hope and joy as they discover your grace, your unmerited favour, full and free for them. And Lord, enable us as your church to be a church that becomes an ongoing channel of your grace to the multitudes near and far. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the love of the Father. Amen.
We're going to finish with this wonderful song. As we meet Jesus, we begin to see and understand that he is the way for us. He is the truth for us. He is the life for us, but not just for us, but for the whole world. Let's stand and sing.